Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome to the Dale Scott Franchise Report. Yes, we'd like to christen the Franchise Report on episode 113 of the program in honor of Dale Scott, a Major League Baseball umpire of long tenure, who, it was revealed this week, uh, came out as gay in about the most unspectacular, unegomaniacal. That makes it sound like it's an act of ego to come out. I don't mean to imply that. Oh, my God. Stop the tape. Rewind. I guess, I mean, he did He did it in such a way as to not draw any attention to himself whatsoever. Low affect. He sent in a picture of himself and, a long time, and his longtime partner uh, to a magazine that was doing a story on him uh, and didn't refer to it as this is an act of coming out, but he thought it was an accurate way of showing himself as part of this profile, just as it was for them to show him calling someone safe at home plate, just as it was for them to show him chatting with other umpires, and then he had a picture of him and his longtime partner. I think they were seated on a train on a trip somewhere. And from this, everybody realized, wait a minute, that means that this guy's longtime (laughs) partner is a man. Oh my God, there has been a homosexual in our professional sports mix for years and we didn't even realize it. My God. my! What are the chances? Now, this has been, I think, a really wonderful story in a whole lot of ways. By the way, the chances were 100% <laughs> for those keeping track at home. 100%. Y'all, there's more. <laughs> there's a lot more that we just don't know about yet. Yeah. So yeah. if you're uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's been, it's uh, not to detract you, but it's been a really interesting, I guess it's been about a, a year and a half right now since Jason Collins came out um, as, as the first uh, active professional basketball player. And then we had the Michael Sam story. Um, it does feel like, among other places in our current culture, sports is one where being gay, the critical mass um, seems to be moving in a direction. It's pretty interesting. You want to uh, you want to trip yourself out just as an Orioles fan? Google Roberto Alomar gay. See what comes up for you. <laughs> uh, we won't get we won't go down that road at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to say, uh, uh, for me personally, uh, the Dale Scott story. Well, first there was one thing that I thought was really cool, which was that Dale Scott, in uh, giving the interview that he's now subsequently given, I believe it was to. Um, SB Nation, mm-hmm. uh, which run, mm-hmm. r- runs a blog called Out Sports, I think it's called, um, in the interview about uh, where he said, yes, I, I did realize that this was outing myself to submit this picture for the profile. Um, one of the things he points out is that Major League Baseball, from the beginning, has given him absolutely no trouble about... Dale Scott and his partner are married now, but before they were allowed to get married legally, they were registered same-sex domestic partners, and Major League Baseball uh, always gave his partner full benefits, never gave him any issue about it. He never, um, from what he says, received any guff or or 
backward-minded prejudice from his fellow umpires or presumably many players who knew this was the case. I don't know how much umpires and players know each other, but I'm sure these things get out. Um, and it was just nice to hear that this wasn't some kind of uh, this wasn't some kind of a situation where him revealing this was blowing the lid off of a simmering cauldron where now there's going to be all these terrible issues that are revealed about Major League Baseball and how they're completely intolerant. We have sat here in Hootenanny Studios and maligned Major League Baseball's conduct for any number of reasons many times, and I'm sure we will continue, <laughs> continue to do it to again, do probably in this episode. <laughs> but it's nice to hear that at least on this, it sounds like they got it right. Yeah, and, and that they got it right in a very innocuous, very low-grade, not particularly stressful kind of a way, Yeah. right? Like, it wasn't even that they needed to do a big celebration of this thing. It was just like, oh, that's how this person is, and that's great. <laughs> yeah. As you were. The other thing that I wanted to we're say— We're still going to yell at you when you don't call the strike correctly. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say uh, was that it made me think of a story uh, that my dad told me once— um, or not a story, but uh, a way that my dad explained the issue of prejudice against gay people once that uh, I've also done a certain amount of maligning of my dad on this program and <laughs> will perhaps continue to do that. Uh, but this is something that I felt that he really got right in my uh -huh. upbringing that um, this story made me think about, uh, which is I was at a party once in high school and we were watching um, Dogma, mm. which stars uh, Ben Affleck, of course, uh, or Batman to you younger <laughs> folks in the audience um and so weird we're we're watching this movie and we were watching one of the special features and ben affleck said something about a character in the movie who was gay and he described that character as gayer than a tree full of parakeets <laughs> and everyone in the room laughed and i didn't because i was like he that's not that's not okay he can't say that that's that's right. so mean to gay people. That, right, right, right. That's, that's trading on terrible stereotypes and prejudice. Why is everybody laughing? I feel like I should say something. I feel like I should say something like, you guys, stop laughing. Why are you laughing at that? And of course I didn't because I'm a shrinking violet when it comes to <laughs> situations of conflict. Um, and I remember going home to my dad after that and saying... I was at Alan's house, and not Alan Smith. Uh, I have another Alan in my life who's my best friend from back home, just to avoid confusion for folks. Um, and it was at his house that we were watching Dogma. You understand what's going on. <laughs> so I said to my dad, look, we were watching Dogma at Alan's house, and there was this part in the movie where, uh, there was this part in the special feature where Ben Affleck said this thing, and everybody laughed, and I felt like I should say something, but I couldn't, and now I feel really guilty. And my dad said, well, if you felt strongly about it, maybe you should have said something. Um, but the important thing is that you're aware of that. And if we had an ideal society, gayer than a tree full of parakeets wouldn't even be funny because there would be enough gay people would have so much visibility and presence in culture that we wouldn't view any of their character traits as worth making fun of. We would just accept them for what they are. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about that particular moment, though, is that there's something, um, you know, talking about the, the Ben Affleck joke, right, is that I, I think that you can get to a place where um, everybody on that set or everybody in that film 
is at the place that you're talking about. And then those references become, I mean, then you can also say, you know, this person's as straight as an arrow, and that doesn't become a, 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 a pejorative thing. Um, I do think that you can kind of get away with, or not get away with, that's the wrong phrase. You can say things along those lines and have them honestly not be pejorative and have everyone not take them pejoratively, um, which kind of gets to the same goal you're speaking of. So the connection to Dale Scott, just in case people are wondering if there is one, uh, is that... Tenuous as usual. (laughs) I think that the way that he handled um, the the, the fact that the mainstream media picked up this thing that he hadn't intended to even become a mainstream media story... Um, the way that he handled it as I don't view this as a big deal. Nobody else should view this as a big deal. Sure. Is the ideal end state of society (laughs) with regard to the question of homosexuality. Yeah. And then we'll see, you know, I hope, I hope this year we, uh, we as baseball fans continue to comport ourselves with the (laughs) class of, um, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I hope, (laughs) I hope he continues to have a good, a good time. Um, Episode 113, besides being the Dale Scott franchise report, is also a good time to reflect on the outgoing 113th Congress. Adios. In their last month of service, um, the 113th Congress has a shocking, a shocking 13% approval rating, the lowest since anyone has been tallying those numbers. Uh, The approval rating also managed to dip down to 10%. When Congress shut down the government last year. Now, 10% for those keeping track at home is half, half of the approval rating that President Nixon had on the day he resigned. (laughs) That's right. President Nixon had a 19.5% approval rating on the day that he quit office for criminal charges. So historically inept is the 113th Congress. They have managed to pass only 58 laws. So far, in the two years that they have been a Congress, uh, that's the lowest since 1947. Even worse, those laws, within those laws, there have not been anything, anything in terms of actual meaningful legislation, right? They haven't changed anything. There was no stimulus package. There was no ACA. There was nothing big or positive. All of that legislation is either naming things things or legislation that managed to keep a government stumbling forward and rolling along. There was nothing large beyond paying of the bills. They did none of the things that they were supposed to do, and essentially passed on any sort of charge to improve our country to the next 114th Congress. Meanwhile, there were more than 60 instances that the House voted to defund or remove different parts of Obama's signature health care legislation over the last two Congresses, something that was always going to be symbolic at best because Obama did have the ability to veto. So that is 60 instances of completely useless action that bogged down a system that didn't need any more bogging. So if I may, if this particular Congress was an actual baseball player, the closest comp that I was able to come up with might be real live, actual, not made up, Malachi Kitteridge, who played ball from 1890 to 1906 for a combination of the Chicago Colts, Washington Senators, Boston Bean Eaters, Louisville Colonels, and the Cleveland Naps. I didn't know the Cleveland Naps was a team. 
and I am not making the following statistics up. Not only was Malachi Kitteridge a light-hitting catcher with a career 219 average, not only did he post the second-lowest career OPS of any player with 4,000 plate appearances of all time, not only was Kitteridge one of the least successful managers in baseball history, leading the Washington Senators to an 0-14 start in 1904, then getting fired when the team reached 1-17 for a career .058 winning percentage. But on top of all of that, he seems to be the sort of generally inept character who once suffered a sprained ankle while walking around with $300 worth of nickels in his pocket and once allowed a run to score as a catcher while he was dusting off home plate. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your 113th Congress in baseball form. All right, should we talk about baseball here? Uh, maybe. Ah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. There's so little of it going on right now. That, who are we kidding? So much has happened. <laughs> so many things. So many things have happened since last we spoke, Baltimoreans. All of them bad. All of them? Yes, all many of them. Many of them bad. Many of them bad. <laughs> um, After Dale Scott, it goes downhill quickly. It quick. goes downhill quickly. Man, um, I, I mean, we should, we should probably address the elephant in the room first. Um, goodbye. Nelson Cruz. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Thank you for your service. But in reality, I didn't want to pay for your decline years anyway. I think Nelson Cruz is a situation where we hit the baseball transaction lottery. Yep. And yep. Uh, got those three quarters of a season out of him. And uh, good luck in the friendly confines of Safeco Field. Yep. Because that's a big park. Yep. <laughs> a lot of heavy air out there. We should also say um, goodbye, Andrew Miller. I'm unfortunately going to be seeing a lot of him <laughs> in the pinstripes. Would have been preferable had he not gone to a team in the American League East. But I will say this. I will say this. There's a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, my God, Andrew Miller was so dominant. We should have kept him around. We should have just given him the closer job. Let's stop for a second and put our fucking heads on straight here okay okay Andrew Miller was able to go out on the open market and get closer money guess how many seasons in the major leagues he's pitched as a closer goose egg zero <laughs> he's never done it it's never happened and I know I know we have a lot of people who listen to this program I sort of think this and we've even talked about this on the show that closer mentality is probably garbage it's probably not a real thing however that doesn't account for the fact that Andrew Miller has better stuff than Todd Jones ever did. And Todd Jones saved over 300 games in the major leagues. Yeah, and it's it's a situation where uh, if you're going to pay him that much money, you're gonna. I would have liked to see some kind of track record that in Yankee Stadium, under the lights, when there is a lot of pressure, he manages to actually get out of games. Um, I, I, I do think that he'll be fundamentally okay as a closer like you're saying but that's a lot of money and it's another situation where I feel like uh, I'm sad to see him go but I'm not sad we didn't sign him at that price if the money that we have saved from letting Nelson Cruz go and from letting Andrew Miller go both on contracts that I think if we were to look at ourselves squarely in the eye and ask if we wanted around we wanted them we wanted those guys around for 2015 at any price maybe we wanted uh, Andrew Miller around and whatever we could get from Nelson Cruz around for 2016 at any price. 2017 and 2018, 
who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And if what we did by freeing up that money is to give ourselves the capital to take on the remainder of, say, a Matt Kemp contract, mm-hmm. which we may have done by the time this podcast comes out, who or, knows? <laughs> or trade for Justin Upton and sign him to an extension, uh, then I think we'll all be feeling a lot better about ourselves. But that brings us, Alan Smith, to an interesting question. Why do we seem to need an outfielder all of a sudden? What what happened? Well, besides Nelson Cruz taking a hike, yeah, um, we are no longer the employers of the uh, the 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 great Greek Nick Markakis. <laughs> we sent him packing to Atlanta. Well, we didn't send him packing. He chose uh, the home cooking of his home state of Georgia. And he signed with the Atlanta Braves, replacing, I assume, Jason Hayward in their lineup and in their left field. Right field. Right field. Right field. I have to say, Sam, this is the one that has been stinging. It, 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 you saw me, you, you, you were the one to break the news to me uh, <laughs> that this had happened. And it, it, it really hurts. Um, I, I think that the Nelson Cruz and the Andrew Miller uh, departures were very predictable. I think as soon as Nelson Cruz hit his 20th home run, uh, which I think happened in April, <laughs> we were pretty sure he wasn't coming back. Uh, so that that has been something that I've I've grown to accept and therefore could enjoy the ride. But Nick Markakis, to me, um, is, of course, the longest tenured Oriole, but also the or- one of the Orioles that I feel the most attachment to because I maybe because he's been around so long, but also because I really like how he plays the game. And I really like his his sort of undervalued skills. I think that everyone who keeps citing his wins against replacement has um, you know, that's, that's one of the ways in which I don't think that statistic totally lines up. It's an incomplete view of what Nick Markakis has meant to this team. And I think specifically um, now that we are, are are down a big bat in Nelson Cruz, it would have been really nice to keep a grinder with a high on base percentage. The only person who <laughs> fits those two particular <laughs> definitions in the Orioles lineup. Hope you guys uh, like the J.J. Hardy leadoff hitter experience <laughs> from 2012, because right now it looks like we're going to get some more of that. That's what we're looking at. Uh, you know, it's it's sad, man. I, I really enjoyed watching him smile for the first time in 15 years when they made the playoffs. <laughs> that was kind of nice. So uh, just to give you guys a sense of how good a friend I am, uh, Alan mentioned that I was the one who revealed to him that Nick Markakis uh is was had signed with the Braves uh Alan had a very rough week this week I I don't think he would (laughs) mind me telling you it had until that moment nothing to do with Nick Markakis he was very sick uh we were supposed to record this podcast on Tuesday night Alan showed up at my door barely able to emit sounds (laughs) from his throat because it was was grim he was so infected he sat on my couch wide-eyed drinking a cup of tea for about 30 minutes saying I think I can do this I think I can do this. And I was like, Alan, you can't do this, homie. It's not happening. Um, now, uh, two nights later, I was like, Alan, I think uh, you should come out to this social engagement with me and drink some beers at a bar. And Alan was like, I'm clearly too sick to do that. And I was like, you're, you're just going to come, and that's, that's the way it's going to be. So Alan shows up looking no better than he did two nights earlier. A little better. A, a little, little bit better. better. Gets a hot toddy from the bar, sits down at the table that we're at, and... <laughs> The first thing I say to him is, did you see Markakis sign with the Braves? And Alan, 
in a moment that I will never forget, just set his hot toddy down very gingerly on the bar table. And then he set his forehead down very gingerly on the bar table and didn't lift it up for 15 full minutes. And the two people that we were with, who, one of whom is, well, one of them was Jen Adams, who you've heard on these very airwaves. Um, who she, had a sense of the of the gravitas of the situation? She she understood that this was a very difficult moment for Alan and gave me, I think, an appropriate amount of shit for the way that I delivered the news. <laughs> and then our fourth friend who was there, who is not a baseball fan at all and has no idea who Nick Markakis is, developed, I think, and I haven't checked in about her with this, but I, I'd I'd wager this is an accurate read. Developed some doubts about <laughs> the fundamental sanity that we all possess. So now, Smith, uh, now that the people understand the, the context in which you have experienced this loss, <coughs> which is uh, with your body already trying to fight off some <laughs> physical betrayal, and now you uh, had this emotional betrayal introduced into that, that illness cocktail, how, you've had a few days to think about it. How's it sitting with you? Well, you know, as you pointed out, in the cool, clear light of day, uh, I think that the amount of money that he got paid by the Atlanta Braves, which is, I believe, $45 million. Uh, I think it was 44. $44 million uh, is probably more than I wanted to pay him. Um, we have had an experience on the Orioles recently uh, with what happens when a, a, a disc in one's neck begins to bulge uh, and it doesn't always end well. You're referring, of course, to Mr. Nolan Reimold. The gazelle himself. Um, and I, it does sort of make sense to me that Dan Duquette was not willing to go as high as the Braves were. Uh, I can feel, unlike a couple other situations, um, Brian Roberts, for example, I do feel like I don't need to root against him uh, in his new home, and I can sort of check in on him every so often and continue to wish him well uh but i guess assuming we use the 17 million dollars that's coming off the books for marcakis after last year to uh to really go out and get somebody of a of a caliber to fill in and make adam jones not, not the only the only sure thing in the outfield um <laughs> boy that happened quickly didn't it that really did didn't I mean, we go <laughs> from having a really good outfield to just adam jones it, it it really it really happened very quickly we we so clearly that now becomes the number one priority to to fill that in i'd say but, so <laughs> tough tough to compete in the al east without a left fielder and a right fielder <laughs> i would say not impossible tough hey though. we do still have steve pierce um but yeah, so so the the moral of the story is I feel sad but not totally confused by Dan Duquette's decision. I guess the thing for me about uh, Marcakis leaving is it's very sad from one emotional standpoint, but from another standpoint, it's a little hard for me to describe the swelling of emotion that I felt when that gif was passed around after the Orioles clinched, clinched the division this year that show everybody's seen this Jeff who's listening to this show but just in case you haven't um it's Nick Markakis with his sort of trademark scowl on his face he's his shoulders are heaving he's out of breath he's looking down at the ground and he's standing on the field at Oriole Park at Camden Yards 
as Ryan Wagner announces that the Orioles are the American League East champions. And then you see Nick Markakis' grizzled face rise up, <laughs> and he looks out towards some, some indeterminate point in the outfield. I'd like to think he's looking out towards right field where he's played so many innings. He looks a little dazed. He <laughs> doesn't quite know where he is. And this little tiny smile spreads across his face very slowly. And for the first time that any of us can ever remember as fans, you see this ease come over him that has never been there for any at-bat that we've ever watched, any play that he's ever made, ever. Certainly no interview. (laughs) Certainly no interview. (laughs) And in terms of narratives in professional sports, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. It's hard to imagine a better story for one player and as a fan your experience of watching that player especially after the 2012 run exactly which he couldn't participate in despite being you know such a long tenured oriole because of cc sabathia fastball and so this is my thing i think it's pretty likely not guaranteed but it's pretty likely that that was the best nick markakis moment that we were ever going to get as orioles fans i don't know if it was ever going to be more fulfilling than watching that happen. And what I think is more likely, had we signed him to this four-year contract, which we reportedly did offer him for slightly less money than the Braves, is, as we now know, he's got this neck injury, and as we all know but don't like to admit to ourselves, his production has been declining pretty steadily over the last few years, at least from an offensive standpoint. And I think it's pretty likely that we would have watched his skills deteriorate even more over the course of this contract. And maybe the Orioles would have won another division, but it wouldn't have felt as good to watch him win the second division title as it did to watch him win the first one. Maybe they would have won the World Series, but we don't know that. That's a pretty tall order. This year's team was really good, especially in the light of the lack of action from uh, from the front office so far this season. It's no sure thing that we're going to be back in the postseason at all next year. So if he had to leave, and he had to leave at some point, whether by retiring or injury injury or signing a contract with another team, if we had to watch him go, this was the best time for him to go. Because I don't know about you, but I have no bad Nick Markakis memories. None. Not a single one. My memory of him as a baseball player and as an Oriole is pristine. Yep. And I think because of this... It's always going to be pristine. And so the more I think about it, the more I think it, it's hard for me to ask for any more than that. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I guess I guess my my final feeling on Nick Markakis is probably actually best summed up, as, as so many things are, really, by the lovely, velvety voice of, of Morgan Freeman. Uh, Scotty, roll the tape, please. Those of us who knew him best talk about him often. I swear the stuff he pulled. These friends of mine could use a couple of beers. <laughs> and he got it. And he got it. Sometimes it makes me sad, though. The great Greek. Being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. Now you can fly away. 
strong. Fly away home to where you You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. And this over here is Alan Smith. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, despite all of the uh, 2020 hindsight vision we just told you about Nick Marcakis, Sam and I have many times on these very airwaves declared that re-signing Nick Marcakis is the clear number one move that the Orioles should have made in this offseason. Uh, that's something that we were both very sure of as shortly as a couple weeks ago. Now, one thing you don't know, however, Baltimoreans, is that we actually recorded an entire episode of this program telling you what we thought our <laughs> off-season move should be. The reason why you never heard that program is because within about 12 to 14 hours of finishing recording, all of our suggestions had become irrelevant. That's now, right. <laughs> those suggestions were taken by the general managers of other teams. Very, very quickly. So quickly, in fact, that I'm not entirely sure that Billy Bean wasn't listening to this very show. <laughs> Advanced metrics is not just related to baseball, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you got to think outside the box, including figures, figuring, including figuring out how to tap in to the live stream that I didn't think existed from my apartment <laughs> directly to Oakland HQ. Who knows what they can do with apps these days. Um, but we, So Sam and I had a couple of suggestions that we thought were just no-brainers, clear great ideas for the Baltimore Orioles to do. Um, we're going to play a couple of those for you now, travel back in time to before the offseason began. Take it as read that the most practical thing they're going to do is they're going to offer Nick Marcakis whatever the market value that he susses out is. Yeah, let's go so ahead the and second, we'll take that one off the move. table. Okay. Second move is to make a three-year offer to Country Breakfast, Billy Butler. You've stolen mine. <laughs> You've stolen it. And get him in the goddamn lineup. Uh, I don't think Nelson Cruz is going to remain a Baltimore Oriole next year. Um, I think Billy Butler is coming off of a very down year. Uh, you're never going to be able to get Billy Butler get for less for, money than you can right now. Absolutely. And he's not that old. He's currently getting paid by the Kansas City Royals uh, $8 million a year. Now, I think you make him an offer which bumps that up to 10 and you do a three-year $30 million contract, maybe three years 28 with some incentives. You get that man in the lineup. You put him there for a while. You don't buy out the later parts of his career when his physique is going to cause his performance to go downhill. You only go you only go three, uh, and then you let him have as many country breakfasts as he wants yep. with the knowledge that you're not going to have him be a long-term option. All right. My moonshot that I would like to propose to you, the Baltimoreans, is the following. I would like us to package in a trade Miguel Gonzalez and Steve Pierce to the Braves for Mr. Jason Hayward. Ooh. I would like to put Jason Hayward in left field. Ooh. Assuming we keep Nick Marcakis, we would then have the best outfield in baseball. That's true. And assuming Manny Machado's knees do not evaporate uh, during the offseason, that would give us the best left side of the diamond defensively that I can possibly imagine. That's true. That's true. Anything hit to the left side would be caught. <laughs> 
Well, well, well. <laughs> what did you say, Alan? Was it three years, 30 million for Billy Butler? And, is that is that the figure you quoted? And I, and I believe the, the package you suggested someone might be able to get Jason Hayward for was a, a decent pitcher and a bat. Is that about right? That's, uh, that's, roughly, that's roughly what I suggested. Yeah. I would hasten to point out that the bat that I suggested uh, had a much better year last year. Yep. And, you know. Shelby Miller may be a good pitcher, but he certainly wasn't at the end of last year. <laughs> um, now, Alan, would you say that, uh, especially given recent events, uh, somebody like Billy Butler might fit into our lineup pretty well? I mean... Would it, you say that somebody it, like Jason Hayward might be mm, critical at this point? <laughs> unless we would, want balls to just roll around <laughs> out there by the SK sign. Which they could, you know, they could, they could, uh, Adam Jones could cover the whole thing. It's going to take him a while. <laughs> yeah, you know... All of those suggestions, Sam, if we may pat ourselves on the back, were very good suggestions. They were very good suggestions. Um, and and the fact of the matter is uh, we didn't make those moves. But we are guilty on this show uh, of, of perhaps getting a little too excited at the beginning of the offseason. And we forget that so far Dan Duquette has a pretty good track record toward the end of the offseason <laughs> in uh, filling filling the holes on the Orioles with some pretty good players. Um, so what do you think? Did we did we have we already seen the fattest pitches of this offseason sail by without moving the bat at all? Or or are there are there other fastballs that we could groove later on? We are criminal in the degree to which we sit here in Hootenanny Studios and malign the Dan plan. When the reality is the Dan plan has brought us the three most exciting seasons of Baltimore Orioles baseball in either of our lifetimes. And recently the manager of the year award for Mr. Duquette. Yeah, the uh, the executive of the year award. Executive of the year, excuse me. But Although Buck got the manager of the year award. Right. Because of the players that the Dan plan has brought in. <laughs> so... I, I think, uh, yes, there are a lot of people who are reportedly still out there that uh, it sounds like Dan Duquette has had conversations with. You're Justin Uptons, you're Howie Kendricks, you're Maddie Kemp's. Um, and I think it is obvious, especially now, despite the fact that he apparently at a fan event recently was like, well, you know, we, uh, we do have good options uh, in-house in Alejandro de Aza and David Lowe, which, of course, uh, made all of us smack ourselves <laughs> in the forehead. Uh, but the thing is, we continue to smack ourselves in the forehead when Dan Duquette says those things, despite the fact that there is now, as you say, a very clear track record of when the team needs to make a move, Dan Duquette makes a move. Yep. That's happened each of the last three years, and all of them, at the time they were made, we could find almost no fault with. So, you know, I think... Uh, as much as it hurts at this point in the offseason, we know we're not going to be the ones who give Max Scherzer $150 million. We know we're not going to be the ones who give John Lester $160 million. But we don't know if we're not going to be if that we're not going to be the ones to trade for uh, your Matt Kemp's or your Jay Bruce's or any of the other names that we have heard might be available. And we are cruising at breakneck speed into the winter meetings next week. Right, right. Now, here's the thing, though, Alan. We could sit here and try to figure out what's in Dan's head. That's true. Or we could talk to the man himself. He is he is a, a recent awardee, and he's about to go to the winter meeting. Do you think we can get him on the line? We, we I think, are living in a world where he has received um, 
an unfairly small amount of attention for his achievements. That's true. Uh, he has not true. done a tremendous amount of press since receiving the Baseball America Executive of the Year Award. So uh, I'll do you one better than getting him on the phone. I, I was actually texting with him earlier today. Oh, great. And he he offered to drop by the studio. Oh, fantastic. So I, I should have told you this, but he's been in the living room. Oh. The entire mm. time. I would Gosh. imagine I'm 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 probably out of Benito's chips. <laughs> but uh, I'm why don't I just go get him and bring him in and we'll have a little conversation with him. That sounds great. We'll be right back. Dan Duquette, welcome in person to Hoot Nanny Studios. How does it feel to be named Baseball America's Executive of the Year? Well, uh, if I had to pick a word, Alan, it would be fantastic. I gotta say, you know, it's been a long road for me. It sure has. But you know, so much has been made of your long hiatus from professional baseball, I'm sure you'd much rather talk about your plans for the future now that you're back, I would say, in the saddle. You know, Alan, that's absolutely correct. What I'd really love to do is to let your listeners know that next week I'll be receiving the key to the city of Danbury, Connecticut, where I'll also attend the ribbon cutting for their new cranberry farm, Danbury Cranberries, of which I've been made the honorary CEO. After that, I'll be boarding a locomotive for a whistle-stop tour of the Eastern Seaboard, ultimately arriving in Danville, Pennsylvania, where I've been elected chairman of the board of a small manufacturing concern called Danville Anvils. That, that can't be the name of real places. Oh, oh, they most certainly are, Alan, and if you don't believe me, I'd invite your listeners to look it up on dances.com, formerly known as answers.com, but the CTO's a personal friend. He called me up as soon as he read about the Baseball America Award. He said, we're changing the name. I won't take no for a dancer. Now, Alan... You look like a guy who enjoys a nice sandwich. Is, is that a fair supposition on my part? I am certainly not opposed to such things, no. Well, then you may want to stop by your local Royal Farms at some point over the next two weeks because they'll be serving a special edition deli creation known as the Steve Piastrami Danwich for the low, low price of just $3.99. That is a very affordable price, Dan. But tell me, how on earth did they come up with that particular name? Alan, I, I think it may have had something to do with the fact that just when it seemed that the 2014 Baltimore Orioles were about to watch their season go through the meat grinder, a certain shrewd Dan Duquette acquisition stepped up to save the day. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And this all sounds really great, Dan, but I have to admit I'm a little worried about something. You mentioned that you're embarking on this well-deserved victory lap next week, right? But if, if I'm not mistaken, next week is the beginning of the annual winter meetings, right? And if you don't mind my saying, um, and I'm sure you have a good plan for this, but the Orioles somewhat unexpectedly find themselves with a longer shopping list than I think a lot of us were hoping for to have at this point of the offseason. Well, with losing Nick Markakis, Nelson Cruz signing with the Mariners on a much more reasonable contract than I think many of us were anticipating, with the Red Sox and the Blue Jays making some fairly big ticket signings and acquisitions that have altered the competitive landscape in 2015, I have to confess, Dan, I'm a little nervous we're in danger of losing our foothold in the division unless we make some big moves next week. But if I if I understand you correctly, you're not even going to be there? You know... I 
I can see where you might be thinking about it that way, Alan. But what I think you're forgetting is the fact that during my visit to Danville, Pennsylvania, I'll only be a short-hopped boxcar ride from Altoona, home of the Altoona Curve. Now, your more alert listeners will know that the Curve are the AA affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But what they might not be aware of is the fact that those same Curve have a very capable second baseman on the squad by the name of Kelson Brown, who hit two ninety-five last season. Do you think that they're also aware that he was maybe four years older than most of the other players in that league? May I direct your attention to my neatly coiffed mane of jet black hair, Alan? Do you know how many hours I work? Do you realize how much harder it is to be the executive vice president of baseball operations for a professional team than to run some two-bit podcast out of your co-host's spare bedroom? Now listen to me. If you're so smart, why didn't you stop me when I mentioned Connecticut to congratulate me on signing Tim Gustafson to a minor league deal based on his performance with the independent Bridgeport Bluefish? I've actually, Dan, been trying to prevent our listeners from finding out about that. I'm concerned about their emotional well-being enough as it is. Well, I suppose you don't want them to know about his 2.39 earned run average or his 1.08 whip either. Yeah, but that's in the Independent Atlantic League, Dan. Say what you will, Alan, but you know what I think you'll be calling this signing come June of next year? A bad omen? A dandy, that's what. Oops, I better go, that's my free agent alarm. Evidently the Mets are willing to trade us Curtis Grandison in exchange for an unlimited supply of Danbury Cranberries. I'm going to go see if I can get him to throw in Matt Dendecker, just for the hell of it. Ah, well, there he goes, folks. Baseball America's Major League Executive of the Year for 2014, Dan Duquette. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Dan Duquette in the flesh, right here in Hootenanny Studios. I assume, I am sorry I couldn't be here for the actual segment. Dan made an absolute mess in my kitchen while we were in here recording. I I don't know how exactly he got the potato chip bag behind the television. Like, it's unclear to me what sequence of events would have taken place that the bag would have ended up behind the TV. Um, but, you know, maybe he just got really excited about the UVA-VCU uh, basketball game. He's uh, he's an excitable gentleman. I'll say that. I'll yeah. say that. You know, um, despite his usual sort of harebrained schemes, I, I came away feeling reassured. I think I think we're in good hands. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I, I think I've started to come to uh, get a little bit away from the sort of like uh occasionally lucky fred flintstone perception of dan duquette <laughs> and more into the um like uh, band geek makes good later Mastermind. in life yeah. yeah yeah i think i think that's a fair a, f- a fair a fair understanding of of the man and his his uh his crazy basement shopping <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for episode 113 of Baltimoreans. But we would love to ask you, uh, you know, we've been talking about Nick Markakis really for a couple of weeks here on the show. And pretty soon there's not going to be a whole lot of Nick Markakis to talk about because uh, we're not going to cross paths and cross paths with him very much next season. Uh, what with him playing over in the NL East, if at all. So um, unless we end up playing the Braves in the World Series, uh, which would be fine, I would like to say for the record. 
but we'd love to know, uh, since we're not going to get to talk about him too much more, we'd love to have you guys send us, if you can think of him, your favorite Nick Markakis memory from his nine seasons in an Orioles uniform. They can be, um, they can be just a, a single play that he made. It can be a story about him from the paper. It can be can be anything you want. Anything anything you would like to share that kind of encapsulates the Nick Markakis Orioles experience. Please send those to us. You can send them to us on Twitter at bmorons is our handle. You can email them to us Baltimoreans podcast. I just said that like Baltimoreans podcast. <laughs> Baltimoreans podcast at gmail.com. You could uh, leave them in an iTunes review if you wanted. Ah, yes, that would be fine. That- we, we would we would appreciate that as well. So send those to us if you would please. And uh, other than that, um, I don't know what to tell you. Goodbye. The, how about the music on the show? <laughs> the music on the show, as always, is the theme song by Marshall York. The transition music is working for another song by the band Town Hall and the song Birdland by Weather Report. Here on the outro, you hear the song Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. Sure do. Sure do. Alan, what would you say Mm. when, if you you were to to give him a name, what would you call Henry Yerudia Mm -hmm. when he is cheering for a certain Andean nation in Latin America during the World Cup? Ooh. Would that be... Henry Gopururudia? Correct. <laughs> and I appreciate, as I think he would, that you added a second Ru. Because <laughs> it could just be Henry Perudia. But that doesn't really mm. work. I think we can agree as a nation that doesn't work as well. Right. It's got to be Perurudia. Yep. And a Perurudia <laughs> to all of you. Good night. Bye bye. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>